Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fucking good. Jeff, I'm in a bomb-dropping mood right now. Drop a bomb. <laughs> New York fucking city. We just got off the phone with SOBs. <laughs> you know how many people said that we could not sell tickets at SOBs, Jeff? <laughs> I'm going to start naming names. Said that we couldn't sell tickets at SOBs. <laughs> said we couldn't sell tickets at SOBs. Fucking. <laughs> 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 said that we couldn't sell tickets at SOBs. <laughs> Jeff, we got off the phone with SOBs and they said we're selling tickets at a crazy clip. They said interest is out the motherfucking roof. <laughs> and you know what? Wait, wait, cut that bomb off. <laughs> okay. Why why wouldn't they be excited? Why wouldn't you guys be excited? Why wouldn't you be buying tickets like crazy right now because of the guests that we're bringing in? <laughs> if you've been listening to this podcast, you know the type of people that we bring over to our apartment to talk for an hour. You think we're not bringing the biggest stars to fucking SOBs on February 23rd? Oh my god. How you feeling, Jeff? Feeling pretty winded. Beyond that? I'm pretty good. Jeff, people are buying tickets, and this is no joke. People are buying tickets just to frame on the wall. New York City. And you know what? For all the people flying in, for all the people coming in from out of state for this show, shout out to you. New York City and beyond, you don't want to miss this show. It's going to be a night you don't want to forget. Buy your tickets now before they sell out. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last almost 100 episodes, you know what kind of rocket ship you are on right now. New York City, February 23rd, 2017, your girls tour it's the real special guests. You don't want to miss it. Who do we have on the podcast today? We have DJ Envy. We have completed the circle. The ring is now unbroken. Woo! We've gotten all of the members of the Breakfast Club from Power 105. I'm We've still got, I'm I'm in a great mood right now, Jeff. This we, is a... we got Charlemagne. Yep. We got Angela. Yep. We got DJ Envy. Everybody. Everybody. Shout out to the Breakfast Club. Uh, we're going to be on the Breakfast Club soon. Look out for that. Jeff. Yeah. What did you enjoy about this podcast? Uh, I mean, first of all, like I've had DJ Envy mixtapes since like I was a teen. I mean, we're talking like Empire Strikes Back. We're talking R&B like seven. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot all, of... All of, the, all of the classics. And then, you know, we followed his story, obviously, forever. And... Uh, shout out to Queens. Shout out to Big Waz. Shout out to Big Waz. Um... Great podcast, great dude, and uh, when do you want to get into it? How about right now? Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Mike Check, a.k.a. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Boxer Breeze, a.k.a. Ronda Rousey. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, <laughs> a.k.a. Something Like a Rapper, a.k.a. Something Like Something Something DJ Strip. What up? <laughs> yeah, and this is Waste Time with It's The Real. What up, what up, what up, Envy, what's happening? What's going on, guys? How are you? I'm doing great. You're doing, even though the Giants lost, you're doing all right. I'm a little sick that the Giants lost, but uh, you know what? Things move on. Things go on. So maybe next year. Yeah, but you have not moved on. You're wearing a Lawrence Taylor jersey. <laughs> I, you know, 
I just wanted the team to know that I still support them no matter what. Even though we lose, we still ride together. We, 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 right, we, yeah. we. Um, I don't know if you know who Ev Boogie is. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he runs up north trips. It's like a sort of um, hip hop archive, yeah, right? Nostalgia trip, uh-huh. yeah. And we had him on the podcast recently, and he told us that he was part of the mixtape conglomerate Evil Empire, mm-hmm. right? And he told us that back, you know, what is this, like seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. everyone would go up to Bruckner mm-hmm. in the Bronx when Mixed Unit would come down to uh, pick up CDs, mm-hmm. physical copies. And he said that occasionally you would go on like a Wednesday afternoon when everyone would be there. Do you remember these days? No, it wasn't necessarily me. It was probably my partner at the time, Splash. Splash, yeah, yeah. It was probably Splash that went up went up there. Um, what happened with the mixtape days, I think we were so, not pat myself on the back, we were so successful selling mixtapes that we had to divvy out the power. Yeah. Divvy out to what Splash did and what I did. So Splash was usually in charge of distribution. Okay. I kind of handled uh, a lot of the out of town, which was mailing, sending to the post office, getting yep. CODs and all that. But we kind of uh, divided the distribution of Splash did that. So you weren't driving up there in your lamb, just like, you know? <laughs> Back then, I definitely didn't have a lamb. Yeah. Mixtape business wasn't that good. <laughs> it was good, but not that good. But no, nah, it was definitely Splash driving up there. Um, what, what song can you really remember fighting for to get to premiere through one of your tapes that sticks out more than any other? Hmm. You know, back then, we really didn't fight for much. We kind of just stole it and put it out. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know. You know, you, you know the, the bad thing about the mixtape game is is when, when we started, we weren't really respected. Mm-hmm. You know, people were used to giving records to Clue. Right. Um, Ron G. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was doing mixtapes like that. That Those were the two that you went to first. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had to jump in front of that. And usually that required us getting an intern that worked at the labels and stealing a record. <laughs> that's that's really how it worked. And um we weren't really respected, so we really didn't ask. Mm-hmm. We kinda just took and then apologized later. <laughs> that's pretty you know what we did. When did you get in trouble for any uh for any leaks? Oh we got in trouble all the time. <laughs> um it's funny I was telling Splash the other day. We played a record that was DMX, Method Man, and Nas. Mm. And um we stole it out of Irv Gotti's office in <laughs> and we played it on a mixtape and the name of the tape was Wanted Dead or Alive and I remember Irv Gotti calling me and asking me where I got the record and of course you can't tell nobody where you got the record from and he was like this is the perfect name for this mixtape because you're Wanted Dead or Alive that was probably one of, one of the ones I mean also Biggie when we played a Biggie record we played uh, My Downfall. Pray for, mm-hmm. pray for My Downfall. It wasn't mixed. It wasn't mastered. <laughs> uh, Biggie had parked his car at a valet. And the valet guy was a young kid who stole a CD. <laughs> and got it to you? And sold it to us. <laughs> and we had it. That's awesome. I have... Um, I was mad at that one. <laughs> I have... Uh, Notorious featuring Shine doing Diddy's verse I, by I you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we we had people in different situations. You know, it was one of those things. We would come. Like, you know how the blogs do now? Mm-hmm. Like if you go to uh, Famous or a Ball Alert or Shade Room, where some of them might get information and might have to pay a little for information. That yeah. was us. Yeah, like, we can't beat Clue. We got to get around. Did you ever get swindled? 
No, never. Never. Mm-mm, never. No one was like, yeah, this is definitely a Biggie verse you never heard, and it was like, you know, gravy. Nah, no, no, like- no, 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 nothing like that, no. I mean, we heard the music beforehand, so it was just like, you know, it might have been favors. A lot of times it was interns who weren't getting paid, mm-hmm. who were uh, highly disrespected, mm-hmm. who really just wanted to get back at the executives. So they were just here, and we was like, all right, well, here's lunch money. <laughs> cool. Did you uh, did you also go through, like, the studios? Yeah, studios were big back then. Um Every once in a while, we had engineers that would give us stuff, but it, it, it usually came from the record label. Right. It usually came from the record label. And then when the emailing started, you know, we had hackers that would just hack into people's emails. Damn. What? How did you find hackers? Splash. <laughs> Splash. He knew everybody from everywhere. And, you know, I mean, he had albums. I mean, times when we might have had 14 songs from an artist. And then you got to, you know, kind of say, you know, do I really want to get a bottle this? to the head? Nah, <laughs> not even a bottle to the head. Do you really want to hurt this artist's career? Right. right. And I mean, because you, you had the option or, you know, you could have leaked 14 songs. Yeah. What you said, you know, you, this is still mixtape, so I might only play two songs. You were like an A&R because you were picking out like whatever picking was the, the hottest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Where are you from originally in Queens? I'm from Queens Village, Murdoch and Springfield. Is that where Donald Trump is from? <laughs> no, he's actually from Jamaica States. That's the the, uh, the, the rich part of, of Queens. You've uh, got to own that. That's, that's very unfortunate. Yeah, me and Clue are, are actually on the same block, lived on the same block as kids. Did you know each other? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know him as Clue. I knew him as Ernesto. Mm-hmm. He knew me as Rashawn and... Um, I didn't even know Clue was DJing. I, I mean, we used to ride bikes with each other, play stickball or, or you know basketball. We didn't. I didn't know him as a DJ. Clue was a couple of years older than me, and you know he used to wheelie up and down the block. I didn't know he was a DJ till later on. Till when? Uh, one day I was uh, waiting outside, for going to school, for waiting on a bus, and it was cold, mm-hmm. real cold outside. And you know you, you start doing that little cold shimmy. <laughs> if you ever took the bus trying to warm yourself up, and I seen um, Ernesto, what's his name? drive up the block in a Honda Accord. Mm-hmm. Now, back then, a Honda Accord was everything. It still is everything to, to some people. But it's it was, a sturdy car, yes. Great resale value. Yeah. 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 Rims, you name it. Everything to the T. And um, I was like, what the hell is he doing? He must be selling drugs. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Black person getting money, he's selling drugs. So that's what I said. I said, he must be selling drugs. So I ran over to the car. He was at the light. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? He was like, I'm a, I'm a DJ. I was like, what? <laughs> DJs don't make no money. And he had on his watch. He had on a, a, a jewelry. He was fly. He was like, yo, come by my mom's house after school, and I'll show you. After school, I went to his mom's house, and I just seen nothing but records and turntables and tape decks and you name it. And he was like, yeah, I'm DJ Clue. And I didn't know him as Clue. I used right. to buy Clue tapes from Jamaica Avenue. I didn't know him as Clue. I just knew him as Ernesto. And I said, this is what I want to do. This is amazing. This is music because I couldn't rap. And I said, this is something that I can learn and do. And, you know, I just went hard ever since and just, you know, saved up, bought my first turntable and started from there. Had what? you tried rapping before that? Yes. <laughs> I definitely did. It was horrible. <laughs> horrible. What was your What was your name? I didn't have a rap name. Ernesto. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, like, the rap was like, uh, uh, I think it was maybe even shrimp. My name is Shrimp and I'm, uh, what say? Oh, my, chest. my name is Shrimp and I'm the best And all the light-skinned <laughs> girls want to feel my chest It was something like that I had a light-skinned girlfriend at the time So I used to throw her rapping I was like LL Cool J because I was rapping to her <laughs> yeah. but it was, Shout out to Queen You know we're going to drop a, uh, an instrumental underneath that That's And right, sell it yeah. to somebody I'm not mad at you I'm not mad at you. We'll hit Splash and we'll yeah, just be like Don't tell them where you got it <laughs> Yeah <laughs> 
My name is Shrimp and I'm the best. And all the light skinned girls wanna feel my chest. My name is Shrimp and I'm the best. And all the light skinned girls wanna feel my chest. My name is Shrimp and I'm the best. And all the light skinned girls wanna feel my chest. My name is Shrimp and I'm the best. And all the light skinned girls wanna feel my chest. Growing up, did you go to public school or did you go to no, Catholic school? I went to school? Catholic school. I went to uh, St. Joachim and Ann, uh, which is in Hollis, Queens. Um, I went there first for elementary school, which was dope. Reason it was dope is I used to see Ed Love every day. Really? Ed Love is, uh, I don't know, son or daughter, used to go to the public school right across the street. Hmm. So he used to walk through the park where we'd play at lunchtime to pick up his kids. So we would see Ed Lover every day. Yo, MTV Raps, Ed Lover. Yeah, like absolutely. So it was Ed dope. Lover, yeah. So we got a, I got a chance to see Ed Lover every day. Oh, my God. And then after I graduated. Um, Did he, he live around there? Yeah, he lived in Hollis. Gotcha. And then after I graduated from St. Joachim and Ann, I went to St. Francis Prep in Queens. Mm-hmm. And then um, from there, I went to Hampton University. Who were the other famous alumni um, from your high school? From my high school, um, hmm. <laughs> John Gotti's son went there. Really? Went there prep. That's Irv um, Gotti's brother. <laughs> no, no, yeah, Chris, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, the, the real yeah, John Gotti. Um, who else? Oh, um, Yo Gotti, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, a couple of famous football players, but nobody, you know, actually there's a couple of people I really don't know who, mm-hmm. but there was a couple. It wasn't really that many minorities that went to St. Francis. Would, what did you see in high school and, and as your path? Um, well, you know what? It was weird. You know, going to St. Joachim and Ann, it was majority, in Queens Village back then, it was majority Haitian. Mm-hmm. So we really, we took a lot of, of the Haitian Whatever Haitians did, we did. Like, we really didn't have a real basketball team. It was mm-hmm. more soccer, mm-hmm. you know, um, which was great because it really introduced me to the Caribbean culture, Caribbean community. And then when I went to St. Francis Prep, it was kind of like a show, uh, a culture shop because now it's, you know, now you're around all minorities. Now when I'm in St. Francis Prep, we might have 10 in each class. But it was dope because you got to see how other people live. And it was strange because now I'm taking the bus through the hood every day in Catholic school pants. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to learn how to deal with all sides. You got to learn how to deal with the hood. And then you got to learn how to cross over and, and deal with the other community You right. know, when you're in class. And it was dope because it, it brought in your your horizon and brought in everything you listen to it musically because now it's you know jane is listening to top 40 mm-hmm. you know and you're sitting in class with an asian person that's listening to a, a different type of a form of music and then you got your hood who's you know who wants to hear you know at that time ll cool j you know gangstar mm-hmm. and and mop and mob deep and 50 cent and nas and jay so it was just like a only queen's artists <laughs> yeah <laughs> i said jay-z yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so it was, it was a, a bunch of everything you know yeah um, where would you go buy your records? Um, Hot Wax. Was that um, strictly records, or did they have CDs and like everything? Back then, it was just strictly records and mixtapes. And you had one tur- turntable or two? I had one turntable at first. can only afford one. Right. I then saved up and bought the other one. And re- the way I saved, at the, at the time, I had a, a partner named DJ Mono. His father was a musician, so he knew how to DJ a little bit. And um, his mother would give him $4 a day for lunch. My mother would give me $4 a day for lunch. So what we would do is we would buy a coffee cake, which was uh, 50 cents at the time, and two sodas. So that would be two fifty, And we would take the rest of that money and buy one record a day. Whoa. So we would buy one record a day until we saved up enough to get, you know, to basically do parties and make more money. But we would buy one record a day. We would take the bus to Hot Wax and buy one record. 
and we did that until we were able to accumulate as, you know as many records as we had. Did, did you, you keep them at your house or at DJ Mono's? Um, everything was pretty much based out of my house. Um, reason being is I had a big basement. Um, my parents kind of wanted us to stay in the basement because mm-hmm. at the time drugs were high, so mm-hmm. they didn't want us in the street. Shootings were high; they didn't want us in the street, so they really encouraged us to stay in the basement and practice. And what was your guys' like routine? When you be on the mic and when you would spin? Or? It started off with him DJing and I was hosting, mm-hmm. and um, that worked out for a little bit. But then Mono kind of we weren't making any money; mm-hmm. we were broke, and he really wanted he was into girls heavy. So he was like, what an idiot, <laughs> you know, so he really got into girls and I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. So mm-hmm. I just continued and, and taught myself how to DJ and just practice and practice and practice. Did you, did your school have like dances with like the sister school? Yeah. Uh, no, well, we didn't need to cause our school wasn't an all boys school. It was boys oh, and girls. So it gotcha. wasn't, so we, you know, we just had dances. And would you DJ those or? Yeah. I DJ some of them. Uh, I DJ certain sets. Cause like I said, it just wasn't hip hop. It was hip hop, rock, yeah. pop. You know, reggae, it was, you know, I, I DJ'd the hip-hop and reggae set. How long was that set, you think? Usually 30, 40 minutes. And did you kill? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. How did the word get around for you to start doing parties elsewhere? Um, mixtapes. You know, I started off doing mixtapes and, and going to every African bootlegger that you could possibly imagine. Cassettes? Cassettes. Or, yeah. Absolutely cassettes. Um I would go Jamaica Avenue. I would go downtown Brooklyn. I would go to Fordham Road in the Bronx. I would go 14th Street. Wherever that there was African selling bootleg movies or, or bootleg CDs, I would try to give them my tape. And then every once in a while, people would pick it up, call a number on the back, and be like, hey, I want to book MV4 show. Your your home phone, like landline? I had um, well, Splash's number on there, and uh, it was my own home phone number. So would your parents field these phone calls? Like- well, we had two different numbers at the house. Okay. So it was uh, a, a separate line, and they would call and, and try to book for shows. Whoa. And the crazy <laughs> thing about it is if you find an old mixtape now, the number is still, still the on. same. <laughs> and my mom uses it as a fax machine number, but it is still on. You can send my mom a fax right now if you want. <laughs> to book you. Yeah, to book me. Yeah, absolutely. That would be really awesome, by the way, if your Twitter bio said, like, bookings at, like, fax to this number. It's still a 718 number. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you have changed <laughs> nah, not at all. who are you djing as is your name dj envy at the time no at first my name was dj shrimp dj shrimp i was um short five foot two and um it was dj shrimp dj mono and together we were envy productions mm-hmm. so if you remember the old cassettes or the old mixtapes it would just be a stamp on the tape so the stamp would just say envy yeah when mono stopped djing i still was out there hustling and the stamp said envy so every time an african bootlegger or the bootleggers would see me i would be like oh you got the new envy 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 <laughs> and it kind of they were calling me envy hmm. and it just stuck i said all right i'll go with envy and then luckily i grew because shrimp would have looked kind of weird right I'm sure not five yeah two anymore. <laughs> i grew and i it just envy just stuck what was your first out-of-town gig um my first out-of-town gig was probably connecticut but my first real gig, I don't really don't remember the Connecticut gig. The first real gig was at Queens Community College. Okay. Clue actually got me to party because Clue couldn't DJ. You couldn't go to school there and DJ. Mm-hmm. So Clue got me to the gig there. And um, I just remembered it was the worst party <laughs> ever. Why? Um, I, like my wife is OCD. Mm-hmm. Everything is clean. Yeah, everything's put back into where it's supposed to be neat. I'm the total opposite. 
Records are thrown all over the place. <laughs> Needles are everywhere. So now when I come to do the club, the records that I tell you I didn't put back in the case are all scratched up. <laughs> so now when you play the hottest record and it's skipping, it's jumping, and everybody's looking at you, I'm sweating down my arm because I don't know what to do. Clue's looking at me with his hand over his head like I hired this guy. Mm -hmm. It was probably the worst party ever. <laughs> ever. How were you getting uh, your artwork done before that? Um... At first, it was just we would call anybody and we would go to uh, Kinko's at the time or wherever we can go to get it done. And then we found somebody. His name was Nojo, probably one of the best graphic designers in, at, at that time in Queens. And um, he was really a graphic designer. And he would find cover art. We would go to his house like 2, 3 in the morning, and he would put it together. And he was just amazing and dope. It was a little more expensive, but he was, he was dope with it. Before you went to college – what was your bubble like? Did you know anything beyond Queens? Would you like go everywhere in Queens or did you know the other boroughs and would you travel on the train? Like, um, well, you know, before college, you you know what? I was, um, I was, a, I was a lucky kid, meaning both my mother and father was in my life and that was not normal when I was a kid. So my dad had a car. My mom had a car. So when I turned 16, I got my permit. Mm. And my mom was like, you can use my car. So I never really had to take the train like that. Mm -hmm. I always had a vehicle to get around, you mm -hmm. know. And um, Where would you go? I mean, everywhere. You name it. We didn't, <laughs> to, besides dropping off mixtapes and stuff, I mean. Dubai. I wish I could drive to Dubai. But I would go to the tunnel at that time yeah. on Sundays and, 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 and watch Flex get busy. I would we would go out and just hit the city, hit the town. Would you go as would you go to Ride Playland? Um no, not Ride Playland. Would you go to like Six Flags? We go would to Jersey Shore. We okay. would go to Six Flags, we go to Jersey Shore. But that was about it. We go to Jones Beach. Jones Beach, yeah. Um those type of things. And then when I got a little older we would go to um you know Philly Freaknik, yeah. Philly mm -hmm. Greek Fist is what they called it. Mm -hmm. We would go uh, Grant's tomb mm -hmm. which was in Harlem where Every local drug deal and all the bad chicks would go up to Grant's tomb and just walk around for hours until somebody got shot and everybody <laughs> leave. Uh, up and down 125th Street was a, a, a popular place where you would just see dope cars and things like that. And when's the first time you got recognized as DJ Envy? I would have to say probably when I got out of co when I was in college and I was still doing mixtapes. And um, I remember a kid came up to me and I was passing out mixtapes and he was like, "Oh." Can I have an autograph? And I signed it Rashawn. I, <laughs> I didn't know. I never practiced signing DJ Envy. And he looked at it and was like, what's this? And I was like, that's me. He's like, no, put DJ Envy. And I was like, wow, people really know who I am. And that was probably the first time. When it came time to look at, at schools, what made you decide on Hampton? Um, One was I was the first person to go to college in my family. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have a choice. My dad was a, a retired police officer. At the, well, he was a police officer at the time. He's retired now. And my mom worked for Guardian Life Insurance. So mm -hmm. I really didn't have a choice. I had to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to go someplace close because I wanted music to be my life. Um, the close colleges for me, and my family wanted me to go to HBCU, or all-black yeah. college. Mm -hmm. So the, the closest one was Morgan State. Went to go see Morgan on a tour. And when we got there, they were playing dice on the, on the, uh, in front of the building. Mm -hmm. My mom was like, I can't <laughs> let my son go to a school where they're playing dice in front of the dorm. <laughs> so the next school we went to was, uh, I think it was Virginia Union, which was a small school. 
And then I went to Hampton University. And then when I went to Hampton, it was just like the gods were singing, oh, I mean, <laughs> you're by a lake, you know. Um, it was just beautiful. It was like nothing I ever seen before. It was grass. It was the beach. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, people had, it looked like people had money. And I was like, this is where I want to go. And so Hampton University was my pick. And Did so you- your parents dropped you off. And then day two is when you saw people playing dice? dice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, you know, the, the funny thing, Hampton University was a little different. It was more bougie. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to school... A lot of the kids came from money. Mm-hmm. So they came from, they look nice. They dress well. You know, it wasn't like, oh, here I am, you know, New York is called Hearts and Tims in a T-shirt, you know, mm-hmm. half part. That was where what I was. So you got to experience a different life. You know, you see in my, you know, my, 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 my second roommate, my first roommate was from Jersey. Mm. My second roommate is from Mississippi. <laughs> so you get the influence of everything else. Like, I didn't know who Master P was. But he came in here talking, oh, oh. I'm like, what the hell is that? So he put me on to Master P, you know. Then I had another roommate who was from Texas who put me on to Bun B, Pimp C. Mm-hmm. But it was dope because now when I'm DJing in college, I can't just play New York music because you have so many different people. So you got to play Master P. You got to play Bun B, Pimp C. You got to play um, West Coast music. So I got to learn all that. And now when I come back to New York, <laughs> I have the edge on all these DJs because I'm there. Mm-hmm. I'm playing the music. I know what they like. So it was college was the best thing for me. And what did you have in your room? Did you have to have a system? Yeah, I had a system. So with speakers and like a PA Everything, and speakers, turntables, mixer, records, all that. Did anyone? Did you ever have like um, an RA like come and stop you and be like, "Yo, you are playing way too loud and way too late"? <laughs> no, nah, not at all. I mean, you, you got to think. For me, it was an all boys dorm, mm-hmm. so I wasn't going to be playing music for a bunch of all boys in my room <laughs> dancing. So we n- never had that problem. The only problem that we had was the first year you're in school, the first six months they have you on a curfew, mm-hmm. so you have to be back in the room by I think like eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. But I can't DJ if I got to be back in 11 by 12. So right. we would just DJ and then sneak in the back door and come up the stairs. That's well, the only, only With all your equipment? With all the equipment. <laughs> with all the equipment. How big was your team? We had about two, three people. Were there any other competing DJs like on campus? Um, There was one who was a little older. His name was DJ Precise. But other than that, I was. it was just me and him. You were the everything. guy. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. On campus, off campus. On campus, off campus, everywhere. You had a car down there, too? I had a car down there, yep. Oh, so you were cleaning up. I was trying to make everything I can. Would you do all paid gigs, or would you take some that like didn't pay just to get more exposure? Um, Back then, it was usually paid gigs, even mm-hmm. if it was something. Even if you had to pay me $50, yeah. you had to pay some. I mean, I had to pay gas or right, whatever. Sure. But nah, it was all paid gigs. And you were still doing mixtapes down there? Still doing mixtapes down there. I would drive home, do a mix. I would drive home. And um, Splash would have everything set up, mm-hmm. whether it was the songs, everything. So I would come down there, do the mixtape three, four hours, and head right back to school. Crazy. How did you know Splash? Um, Splash also lives in Queens Village. He lives a couple of blocks over. I actually met him through Clue. He used to work with Clue. And uh, he stopped working with Clue and then started working with me. While you're away at college, your relationship with Clue was like what? Um, at one time, me and uh, Clue's relationship was great. He actually, like I said, turned me on to music. And then it kind of got really dark and disgusting. We kind of went at, I went at him on mixtapes. He went at me on mixtapes. We didn't speak for a couple of years. And um, I think one day we just kind of spoke and just squashed it out. And, you know, he's kind of like my my mentor. Like he's yeah. big bro clue, you know what I mean? It's like he's probably one of those people in the industry that 
I respect. Mm-hmm. No matter what, he, whether I'm right or wrong, he checks me all the time. He calls me, whether you know whatever he feels like, he's that one person. In that time, how do you make sure that you guys aren't being you know in competition for different gigs around? Back then, New York? it was yeah. competition. Yeah. It, it was get it, get it how you fit it. You know what I mean? You know, we didn't really become cool until later on, but. Back then, it was every man for themselves. Did you have any artists under your wing during the college years? Um, I had two artists. I had one artist named Coke, yeah, and another artist named News. Um, Coke was uh, used to I, I, I want to say this politically correct. Used to help uh, Foxy Brown with her lyrics. Yes, mm-hmm. used to write for Foxy. And did he uh, help on um, Too Ill? Wasn't that the name of the record? On yeah. um, don't. I think he wrote that. I'm okay. just gonna say allegedly, so we don't get sued. But yeah. allegedly, I think he did write that. It's a great record. He also wrote. Well, I remember. Um, and this is how I knew Foxy Brown was ill. Coke was at my house, and Foxy Brown had to do Funk Master Flex, and um, she went in the bathroom and was like, "Yo, Coke, I'm on Flex. I need some bars." So Coke sat there and gave her 16. No lie. Maybe two minutes later, she was on the radio spitting that same 16. She memorized it word for word Yo. and then added her own. That's when she said, you're only tough around mics like Scottie Pippen. Yeah, that, right there, that line right there. I remember because I'm sitting in the house. She went back and spit it. And I was like, this is crazy. But Coke and then I had a kid named News who um, wound up signing with Murder, Inc. years after. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what was your first show that you, uh, that you went to? My first hip-hop show yeah. was Run DMC in Madison Square Garden. Wow. Um, Good good show to pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my my pops took me. It was my it was my, me, my pops, and my mom. We all went, and the reason I remember it, my my cousin went too, but he didn't come with us. There was a big fight on the floor, and it was actually my cousin. My cousin got to a fight, <laughs> he got beat up. But the reason I remember it is Did he started. I don't know, <laughs> but the reason I remember it is I mean they'll never allow this now. Is my dad? Like I said, he was a police officer. Mm-hmm. He went through the back of the garden. So we didn't have to go through the line. And he was able to go through the back and walk right in. And he had his gun with him and everything. Oh, I was shit. Like, That's dope. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, when I grow up and I get big, I want to walk through the back and not have to wait on anything. I want to be VIP. And Look at you now. I'm yeah. Now. <laughs> just, just without my gun. Were you wearing an Adidas uh, to the garden? Um, Probably. Was I mean, Run DMC had to be like everything for you guys, right? Run DMC was a little older for right. me. But still, like... But you're like 50, 55. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, but Run DMC wasn't... You know, I, I loved Run DMC, but I really didn't start getting into hip-hop, really, until, I would say, the later ends of LL Cool J. Mm-hmm. To the... Um, more of the, the, the rougher stuff, because that's what I started growing up with. Right. Whether it was Nori, yeah. right, Mob D. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nas, of course, Jay Z, like that's what really the Lost Boys. That's what really that my era in what I listened to. Mace. When, when, well, when, when, but you had like an allegiance to Queens over Harlem or Brooklyn, right? Absolutely. And when it came time for Jay versus Nas, like we had no skin in the game, like, but we just picked sides and we were like, we're rocking with Jay and we're not going to listen to Nas. Right. And for years we didn't until like they they mended fences at um. Yeah. But did you, a guy from Queens, take Nas's side during that whole thing? You know, the crazy part about it is I didn't. <laughs> I took Hove's side. Smart man. No, but how do you go home? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know what it was? I mean, it, it really didn't matter. It wasn't that serious. The reason being, at the time, I was just so in with Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. You know, I was doing the Rockefeller mixtapes. Right. Mm-hmm. And when it happened, I was kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, here it goes. I really didn't have a relationship with Nas. 
it was kind of like a head up. Oh, that's envy. Yeah. Like, but when with with Rockefeller, I was in the office every day. Yeah. Sitting at Lenny, F, Lenny S's office, yeah. just sitting there waiting for music. <laughs> you know, waiting for G. Robeson or waiting for them to make the music. You know, whether it was Bobby Dash mm-hmm. or you know the original Rockefeller, right? And not just Dame Biggs and Hole. I'm right. talking about. Lenny S and and that that ran the street team and and G who ran A and R and hip hop mm-hmm. and Al Branch yeah. and and all those individuals. I was in their office every day waiting for music, begging for music. You know, give me something. <laughs> Get, you got something in there. You got something. You know, and and just and and Lenny S was a, was a huge contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you even get to to rock? Were were they like had they seen your mixtapes around and that's why? Well, they seen the mixtapes around, but back then to get music, you'd had to go to the record label every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so you would go to the record label and just hope that you can grab a song. There was no email, and you had to go up there and wait. And sometimes I was sitting Lenny S's office for eight hours, <laughs> ten hours, just waiting, waiting. Give me something. Give me something. <laughs> you know, and like I remember the first time we played, it was an Emil record. And it had Jay-Z on it. Mm-hmm. And they gave it to me by accident. <laughs> and we made a mixtape and they were so mad. Yo, where'd you get this record? Bobby Dash <laughs> actually gave it to me. Shout out to Bobby Dash. That's Dame Dash's mm-hmm. brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put me in a room, Splash in the room, Bobby Dash, Dame Dash, and Jay-Z in a room. Right? A room like this size. I was like, so Envy, where'd you get the record? <laughs> I was like, you guys gave it to me. <laughs> I didn't steal this one. <laughs> And it, it was a misunderstanding. Like, I, I guess Bobby Dash gave it to me by accident. But, you know, it was those type of things that you don't see now. You know? Right. You're in a meeting with Jay-Z talking about a damn record that right. week. And like, a meal record. Like, <laughs> a meal record, right? You definitely don't see that today. I don't see that anymore. But, you know, those were the, the fun times of that era. But Clue was down with them at that time, too, right? Clue was down with them, but Clue at that time was doing albums. Right. So he kind of... He really didn't play beef records back then. Mm-hmm. Now, Clue stayed clear of beef records because he was doing an album. So you can't have this one mad at you and this one mad at you when you're doing an album. So he stayed clear of it. So I jumped right in it. When you went down to school, what, what major did you pick? Uh, marketing and management. Smart. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you really used you know what you learned there to further your career. Absolutely. Because a lot of people will just be like, oh, I'll get communications major. Yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Psychology. So, yeah. so you, you graduate and come back to New York then? Graduate, come back to New York. And um, I told myself I'm going to give myself a couple years DJ, see where it takes me. I knew it, at the time I was making good money. Mm-hmm. At the time, I probably was making more than my mother and father. Whoa. Cause you, well, well, the statute of limitations. Because, <laughs> you know, it was all cash. Yeah, right. Then. So, you know, I knew I was making more money than them, but I knew it wasn't a career yet. I had to make it a career. So I said, you know what, I'm going to focus on radio. I just started sending my tapes to radio. Started sending my tapes to radio. Started sending my tapes to radio. And then um, a guy by the name of Reggie Hawkins yeah. mm-hmm. heard my, my tape and then brought me up for, they used to have like mixed weekends right? once a month. And started from there. I just, every time I would go out, I would just ask for more. And then when I got there, I would try to do as much as I can. Well, how do you how do you find Reggie Hawkins? I would call. Call Hot 97 and say, hey, are you guys looking for any other DJs? And at the time, the program director was Tracy. Yep. And uh, Reggie was kind of just like, I don't want to say his uh, flunky, but he was kind of like a step over intern. But he had her ear. Hmm. So I would just send him everything to the point where he was like, you know what? Here, Tracy, this kid is, is rocking out there. Let's try it. And they gave me an opportunity, and then I, I never left back. You had an opportunity to spin. Spin live on air. And how'd you know how to crack the mic? 
Um, well, at first, when you spun, you really didn't crack the mic. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like you spun, and then you just gave shout-outs. Yo, what up, y'all? It's DJ Amy <laughs> Queens. Queens all day, son. Let's go. That's all it was. That's all it was. And um, they used to do a uh, Taking It to the Streets. Mm-hmm. And Taking It to the Streets was a show on Hot 97 that every weekend from 12 midnight to 4 a.m., they would get a DJ from the streets. And they used the same four DJs. It was, I believe it was uh, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. K. Slay. Um, absolute, you know, absolute wasn't the original one. Uh, maybe who kid mm-hmm. and uh, DJ Threat. Oh my god, that was the four original ones. And um, DJ Threat passed away. Right. Mm-hmm. When DJ Threat passed away, I was next. So I went up there and I started doing it. And when I started doing it, the difference with me is listening to Angie Martinez and listening to Funkmaster Flex. You notice that. I say Flex is the perfect example When he's DJing He's a different voice When he's just talking It's a different voice That's why most DJs Don't make good personalities Because they can't turn off That DJ voice Mm -hmm. Right And I I, I analyzed that And I said I want to be a personality Hmm. So I just started going there Like 4 in the morning On a Saturday 5 in the morning On a Sunday And just learning the boards Learning how to talk Learning how to speak Learning how to tease Learning how to To go in and out of breaks and I developed my, my regular voice as well as a DJ voice. So now I could turn it on. Yeah, DJ Envy. <laughs> or I could just say, hey, what up, y'all? It's DJ Envy. We have uh, the Rosenthal's. Yeah. Building. You know, it's the same difference. And then also, I'm sure, like, just being there and showing your face ingratiates you. And they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen you around or I know you. That's and- exactly what happened. When Angie Martinez became pregnant, I'm like the, the king of when somebody else. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> when she became pregnant. Um, they needed somebody that they knew was going to be there every day and that they could count on and was reliable. Because you weren't getting pregnant. <laughs> I was not getting pregnant. And um, I was the person that they said, hey, yo, Envy's here all the time. He's he's always on time. He never lets us down. Let's give him a shot. And I, I took that shot. When you were doing those mixed weekends, did you know Green Lantern? Did you know K-Slade? Did you know I mean, we all knew of each other. You know, who kids from my hood? Mm-hmm. Um, me and K-Slade had drama at one time, and we squashed that. He's the drama he king. He is the drama king, yeah. Um, How did you guys have drama? Um, Splash. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was a Splash situation. I think Splash might have said something about K-Slade, and it got back to K-Slade, mm. and he was ready for war. And, you know, when, when K-Slade screamed at him, Splash was part of my team, so... And with Splash had beef, I had beef. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's funny. Me and K-Slay is cool cool as hell now. But mm-hmm. back then, you know, we, we wanted to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you have back-to-back sets with any of these guys out in clubs? Um, not really. Because, you know, you got to think, you know, if you hire one of us, you got to be able to afford it, the rest of us. Right. So we really didn't do parties with each other. And where were you regularly spinning? Uh, it was nowhere regularly. It was just, you know, every club I could possibly be at. You know, it was like Club Envy. I, I didn't DJ Cheetah Club. I didn't DJ Q Club in Queens, Amazora, you name it. Wherever there was a check, I was there. So when you were at Club Envy <laughs> and you're DJ Envy, <laughs> were you just like, of course I have to be here? Or like when they nah, opened up? I just lied and told everybody I bought the club was my club. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, what's a typical night for you back then? Like how many clubs would you hit? And are you driving from like Jersey to... Uptown to Queens. And also, how old are you at this point? Um, well, this one, when I was probably like 22, 21, 22. Wow. Um, how, I, how early are you starting your night? Well, I kind of started and created the, the double and triple booking. And the reason that happened was it wasn't enough money. You know, you, you go to a club and a, and a DJ and a promoter wants to give you $500 at the time. And it just wasn't enough money. Right. 
by the time I paid my boys from help me carry these crates, it wasn't <laughs> enough. So we came up with this idea, let's double book. And my manager at the time, well, who's still my manager now, his name is June. It's funny because he's an electrical engineer. Hmm. He's in engineering. And he, he stopped engineering to manage me. <laughs> he made way more money into engineering, <laughs> but, but it paid off in the long run. Um, came up with the concept of let's triple, double and triple book. And he used to map out plans. Like, because, you know, we didn't have navigation at the right. time. So he used to map it out. We hit this club first. We take this road over here. <laughs> you know, you run into this club. You know, carry this crate in with you so you can start. And then we'll get the rest of the crates in. Then you take this crate out, get in your car, go to this next club. And that's how we kind of started the double and triple booking. How like, many records were you bringing into a club at a, at a time? Uh, we broke it down <laughs> to three crates in a bag. What's in the bag? The bag is the hottest records. The, the the top twenty records that was in that bag. Now you're limited to whatever you have in those crates, right? So did you have your set down? Um, definitely had to set down. The only problem with that was two things used to kind of affect us. One, if you have an opening DJ that plays all the good music, right? <laughs> or two, if you walk into a club and it's a Caribbean club. Or an older club Because mm-hmm. now you might not have that in your set You might not have the old school crate with you Yeah, You might not have the Jamaican music with you Right But you just play that one record on repeat <laughs> You're good Right You play that one record on repeat so that, And that's how you learn to start talking to the crowd You know mm-hmm. because You can still make people move and dance Without playing music Because now you're talking to them And you're giving them that vibe And, and that's how you kind of Learn how to talk And talk to the crowd And make them feel the way And this that and the other did you ever to uh, pull an audible? Like, did any uh, artist come through and you were like, "Oh fuck, I don't have your record" at that time? Back then, that wasn't hard. Back then, because it felt like artists always traveled with label representatives, and at the time, label people always had records. <laughs> like they were out there with records, with signs, you know, with stickers, banners, uh, slip mats. So it, it, it was never a problem. If that artist was there, nine times out of ten, there was a label rec- rep there too. What uh, are there any memorable times that like people came through for you? Hmm. I'm trying to think of who always come to Nori, Lost Boys. Mm. They were the ones that always I would always see them in my clubs all the time. Like you know, it, it was what it was. But the bad part about me is, is I never really did nice clubs. You know, I never really did your clubs where you would want to take your girl or go. With you. I, I always did the hood clubs. Mm-hmm. So did you make sure when Mr. Cheeks was walking in, you had his record like ready to go? Back then, you wouldn't know when he walked in until he got there because before, you know, now it's like so and so is coming through the door, and then yeah. you have the record. Now you, you'd have to see him and then start playing their records. But yeah, you absolutely positive. Because I, I hope records. that like lights, camera, action was in your <laughs> one of the crates. <laughs> yeah, that or you know, Lex Scoops Beamers in the band, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. or Renee, or you know, they were always you know I was a Queens dude, sure, so I yeah. always had my Queens records. With yeah, me. how often were label reps like finding you to get you records? Every club. Yeah, every club. So it never happened like at home. They wouldn't like go and find you and search you out, or would they wait outside of Hot ninety seven to find you? And you know what's funny? The the, the probably the only person that really went hard to my crib to find records is <laughs> gonna be funny. It's loving hip hop's own Rich Dollars. Rich Dollars. Rich Dollar was a a, a, re- a record rep for <laughs> Puff. Yeah, and he yeah, would yeah, really go one. hard selling records, and, and you know so. He probably won. I mean, I can tell you all the old guys like PR from Bad Boy and all those dudes, but and um, Balloon, June Balloon. Mm-hmm. But 
they really rarely found me at the crib. They always kind of found me at the club. Well, that's because your mom used the number as a fax machine. Yeah, so yeah. it's just like, you know, it's always that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so that's a reference for the kids listening. Yeah. yeah. All the kids who are just like, I know what a fax machine is actually. <laughs> so when did you really get comfortable being on air at Hot 97? Well, they gave, well, I'm not going to say they gave me, they put me in Angie Martinez's seat. And, um,. For about two weeks, I thought things were going great. Mm-hmm. Third week, they said, okay, Envy, we have your first interview. I said, okay, I'm excited about it. They said, I said, who's it with? They say, Black Thought from the Roots. Mm-hmm. Have you ever interviewed him? Uh, no. no. Well, if you before he he started doing a lot of the stuff that he's doing, he was probably one of the worst <laughs> people to interview ever. And I told him this, too, because I was upset with him. <laughs> he's one of those people that when you say, so, you got a new Roots album coming out. Yep. <laughs> okay <laughs> What you working on now Music The interview was like that <laughs> That bad He wasn't helping me I guess he was there to see Angie Martinez She wasn't there He see me All bad Yeah <laughs> I just remember after that interview They said you know what E You know we really love you But what we're gonna do Is we're gonna move Sonny Anderson Cause Sonny <laughs> was doing middays We're gonna right. put Sonny in afternoons And put you to middays So you don't have to interview anybody <laughs> And then I did middays for like a year, for over a year until Angie came back. Mm-hmm. One interview and you were done. One and done. And when Angie came back, they put Sonny in the middays, and then I was kind of just stuck in limbo, nothing to do. And it just so happened at the time, they needed a new morning show. Mm-hmm. Um, Hot 97 was working, needed a, a morning show. And um, What did you know about those morning hours? Well, that wasn't a problem. The morning hours wasn't a problem. It was just like, at that time, I was just like, I need a gig. Like, yeah. I, I need to stay on radio. Like, I love this feeling. You know, I'm, I'm getting booked for every show in New York because promoters are happy I can shout out their club. Yep. I was like, I need to stay on radio. And um, they called Joe Button. Right. Right. And when they called Joe Button, Joe Button called me and was like, yo, let's do this radio thing. And we tried to do radio. And doing radio at that time with Joe Button was just <laughs> the best. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> Between every song, he would sleep under the console. <laughs> he would take cigarette breaks. Yeah, yeah. It was just all bad. He'd be in the studio. It was just bad. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. Um, but it was fun. Right. We had a lot of fun. We used to do slap fests. We, yeah. We, yeah. we had a lot of fun. Well, and, then, and you're also still doing clubs at night. Right. So would you go... Straight from the club, straight straight from the club, to the radio station, to the radio. I even do that now to this day. Yeah, and when I do a club in the city, I, I leave the club at what three a.m. Go straight to the radio. I'm at the radio at four, and then wake the city up, and wake the world up at five thirty. And is your body just fucked? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, because even when I'm off, I'm up at five thirty a.m., six a.m. Well, and when would you see like you know family and friends? Like, because assuming mm-hmm. you would get some sleep during the afternoon or something, right? Yeah, I mean, I really didn't sleep back then. I really don't sleep now. You know, I, I I tell people all the time, I sleep when I have a minute. Like, I'm the type of person, if you just say, Envy, we'll be with you in five minutes, I would I would take a nap on the couch mm-hmm. and be knocked out, snoring, <laughs> probably farting. Like, that type of sleep. Right. You know, yeah. When I'm on a plane, you know, people say, I can't sleep on a plane. Half the time, I don't even know when the plane took off. <laughs> in my seat, knocked out. That's just, you know, just who I am. I mean, if, if you know... If you just said, E, I'm not ready, you know, uh, hit me in 30 minutes in the car. I'd have set my alarm for 30 minutes in the car and I was, took a nap in the car. Um, <laughs> what'd you drive up here, by the way? Why'd you ask that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say what's your license plate number. <laughs> I drove uh, my Rolls Royce, Rolls Royce Wraith. Ooh. Uh, where do you park that? Where I park it today? 
Sure. Right on the um, right between the crosswalk and the fire hydrant. Smart man. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing the morning gig, and Mm -hmm. did you know that it wasn't going to work out with Joe? Like that he wasn't going to be there for the long term? Yeah. I mean, I knew Joe. I mean, Joe was working on music at the time. Right. So he was signed to Def Jam, and Def Jam didn't want him to do it. Right. Um, and he had to do another album, so I knew it wasn't serious. So it was about, we did it for a couple of months, and then they called Miss Jones. We had Joe up here, and we asked him about that, and he was like, yeah, Kevin Lyles was just like, don't do not do this. And in retrospect, I mean, like, clearly it's been a, a number of years, and artists mm-hmm. had to, like, go in a different direction. But it's really funny how much of a personality he's developed on mic as as a you know as a podcaster and it made so much sense if you look back at it now for him to promote his records that way but it just wasn't the norm you know what the crazy thing about joe is uh there's a lot of crazy things (laughs) about joe (laughs) the crazy what you're hearing right now on his podcast he sounded that good back then Mm -hmm. you know the label didn't like him because he was too opinionated Mm -hmm. you know when they're trying to get a record cleared and joe was talking about the artist it hurt Def Jam. Right. So Kevin Lyles definitely didn't want <laughs> Joe Button on that radio. Did you did you help break um what was his first record again? Pump it up. Focus. No. Focus, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Focus was actually on my album. Right. It was actually on my album, yeah. I mean me and Joe, we was we was like brothers back then. I mean, we were on tour with each other. We we ran around the city, we ran around the world trying to promote his record and me promote mine. That was a great record. Yeah. We we bought block music. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. Block yeah. party. Block, block, par- block no, no, party. Well, we brought we bought block music. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about block party. Um, no, we uh, we we had your record. Uh, G to K. I, uh, I G to K. I, in my text to Envy and inviting him over here, I was like, we can talk about you know a bunch of things. I just want to talk about G to K. G to K. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great record. Yeah, yeah. Still has legs, but you know, in this house at least. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so Joe wasn't long for the job. And they bring in Miss Jones. Miss Jones, right? And how well did you know her? I didn't know her at all. So they just throw you both in and say, all right, go work. Right. And you have to trust that uh, that the PD knows what they're doing. I mean, at the time, I think Miss Jones was – she was looking to, to work in New York, and I was just trying to do anything. So, I mean, Miss Jones is one of those people that she don't trust anybody mm-hmm. until you give her a reason to trust you. And um, they threw us together, and I, I, I could tell at first she really didn't care for me. She probably was going to bring in her own people. And then um, we just tried to, to make it work, and I think what – what solidified it is I heard her discussing contracts and I pulled it to the side. I was like, look, I don't want to get in your business, but I hear you talking about contract, but let me tell you how much they gave Joe button. <laughs> and she was like, really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So she was able to get that. Wow. Starting off. And wow. that kind of just made us really, really cool. And we rocked out for a couple of years. Right. And in that time, uh, Clue was at Hot 97, right? Clue was at Hot. He was doing Monday nights, the Monday night mixtape, 10 right. p.m. To, to midnight. When did you find out that he was going to leave and go to power? I honestly didn't find out until I think the world found out. Were you guys in that period of you were not friendly? No, we were cool, but at that time, we were. I was doing mornings, he was doing nights. So it was kind of we would just pass each other, you mm-hmm. know, or we see each other at the barbershop. Right. You know, we really didn't necessarily speak in depth. You know, he was doing his thing, doing his album. And I was kind of doing mornings. Did you take it as seriously as listeners took it, like in terms of the competition at that point, or were you just like, "I get it, it's a job," and and he's, he's not, he's my friend, he's not my enemy. I didn't take it. I, I mean, we when Power first came on, I think Hot ninety seven, and the people there took Power as a joke. We didn't expect it to be around. Mm-hmm. And when Clue got worked there, you know, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Clue's my homie. He's at Power. I'm at Hot. We can still do parties together and. 
it'll be dope. We can basically share the light. You know, if he gets the people to listen to hot and I get the people to listen to power, you know, vice versa, I should say, the club would be packed. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great business opportunity. And then, um, which I think really hurt New York, is Ebro, who was the music director, program director at the time, put this thing where you could not work with any DJ from another station. Outside. Outside yeah. of Hot 97. And that really put a strain on New York. So that meant that if you were doing a club date, you could only get anybody who worked at Hot 97. Right. And you could not do a bill with Mm-mm. DJ Clip. No. And I think that put a strain in New York. I think I think that actually hurt New York. And the reason being is because now if you're an artist from New York or artist from anywhere, and you say, I'm going to give Clue the record first. Right. Hot 97 wasn't <clears> playing the record. So it was too much politics. And at the time, Ebro had too much control. So I remember me and Clue used to do a club. And they told me I could not do the club. And I was like, how are you going to tell me I can't DJ with the person who brought me into the music industry? It's like, you can't. If you want to work at Hot, you cannot. And I think that kind of put a strain in between the DJs in New York. I think it put a strain between the artists in New York. I think it really affected and hurt New York. I mean, if Fab has a record, Fab should be able, to, be able to say, yo, I got a dope record, everybody play it. But now he can't do that. Because if he gives it to Clue first, Flex ain't going to play it. Because Clue's his man, and yeah. If he gives it to Flex first, Clue ain't going to play it. Really effed up New York. Was there ever an opportunity uh, where you were approached to be part of a DJ crew? I would never be a part of a DJ crew. But were you approached? I'm sure. I don't necessarily remember. But I stood really strong, hard on it that I would never want it to be a part of a DJ. Crew. Which is why, yeah, you didn't want the jacket. <laughs> Definitely didn't want the jacket. But I also, I also always looked at it like you can never be bigger than the person that runs that crew. Mm-hmm. They're not going to allow you to. You know, whether you're part of a heavy hitter or a big door pitbull or Desert Storm DJs, they're never going to allow you to be bigger than the person that runs that clique. Mm. And did they did uh, people in like those sort of uh, groups? Did they did they hold it against you? Um, I mean, it, it was kind of like a, a fraternity, you know. Heavy hitters, f with heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Big dog pit bulls mess with big dog pit bulls, and you know. But it was kind of understood. Mm-hmm. It was what it was. When 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 Flex did the tunnel, it was him and Cypher Sounds a big cat. Mm-hmm. They were all big dog pit bulls. You know when um, enough did the Cabana, It was enough Camillo and his. Pro style when Pro style was a heavy hitter, mm-hmm. it was I understood. Mm-hmm. I had to fight around it, you know. And I just didn't want to be a part of a clique. I didn't want somebody saying I was accepted because I was part of that. So even now with the DJs that I mess with, like I tell them, you're not. There's no. There is no team envy DJs, right? You know, I look out for you guys because I think you guys are nice and you're talented, and I want to give you guys an opportunity. And that didn't stop no you from getting any records or anything. You could, you still had your relationships with, right? Yeah, you were still great at stealing records That's right. by yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's no I in envy. There's only a Y. There you go. <laughs> when did you know uh, that you would flip the switch and go over to power? I used to do the new it too, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the new it too was popping. Again, I would steal records. I would do anything I had to do to get records. What records did you break at at two o'clock? The biggest artist I broke was Rick Ross. Which record? All of them. Okay. <laughs> what happened with Rick Ross, and um, I didn't know Rick Ross. The reason I started playing Rick Ross so much was because... Payola. It's <laughs> nah, because 50 Cent messed with Mr. C and Flex so much at the time. So you... So they were beefing, and 50, 
I didn't have a great relationship with 50 at the time. He would give Flex and Mr. C the records mm-hmm. all the time. And they would always have new records, and I didn't have anything. So I was like, okay, well, if he's going to go that route, I'm just going to play Rick Ross. I didn't know who Rick Ross was at the time. All I had to know was I had a, 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 a way to get into his email. So I would just hack the ish out of Rick Ross <laughs> and play all his records. What was his password? <laughs> I don't remember at the time. Wingstop, I don't yeah. know. So th- I would get all the records. And um, I remember Rick Ross calling me one day, and he was like, yo, I'm not even mad you're stealing my records, man. He's like, but you're stealing all my records. I'm just glad you're playing it. Because at the time, New York really wasn't playing them. Right, yeah, yeah. So he was one of the artists that I played. Um, of course, Lloyd Banks was one of the artists I played. I used to do um, Buster Rhymes was an artist that I played all the time. Um, a lot of down south artists, T.I., mm-hmm. you know, you name it, Gucci, Little Kim. I was just playing every artist first, grabbing and playing. Like, artists wanted to be on the newer two. Yeah. You know, they would listen to the newer two. I remember one time, this is when I, this is when I thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> Um, I stole a Mariah Carey record, and I didn't know Mariah Carey had so much power. <laughs> I played the Mariah Carey record, and um, when I got off air, they called me in the back. I thought I had a dope show. I'm like, yeah, good show, good show, good show. And the reason I sound like this, I bit my tongue. That's what I'm sounding a little funny. Oh, it hurts. Yelling at the uh, Giants game. No. Giants game. <laughs> so I thought I did a good show. So I walked to the back. They're like, yo. Mariah Carey's people call Lloyd Pete call yo we need to know where you got that song I'm like I can't tell you where I got the song <laughs> if you want me to stop playing it say MB stop playing it no we need to know where you got that song if you don't tell me where you got that song we might have to let you go <laughs> and this was Ebro at the time and I said really <laughs> I said so you ask me to do the new it too to play new and exclusive stuff and then when I do it you tell me if I don't tell you where I'm gonna get this song, where I got the song from you gonna find me <laughs> Yeah, we need to know where you at. Uh, Mariah's kept, Mariah's lawyers are all calling us to stand here, yada, 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 yada. I said, well, I can't tell you where I got this. <laughs> so I thought I was going to get fired. And Jill Ramsey, she was the music director. She's now a program director out in Miami. She pulled me to the side and was like, nah, they can't know where you got the song. We have to protect our DJs. Wow. There's no way in hell we gonna let you try to bully our DJs into finding anything. Nah, and you ain't got to do it. And she was the one that held me down. So she wow. Jill. Wow. Jill Ramsey. So you're rocking it at two o'clock every every weekday afternoon, right? And uh, did you feel comfortable besides you know that Mariah Carey uh, moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this was mixtape days. It was fun to me. It, it you know, because a while when I did mornings, it kind of got too political. Kind of got too boring. When I started doing the new it too, it was fun again. Mm-hmm. I used to get to work. <coughs> I used to get to work like you know, two hours early to clean records up. I had my Pro Tools on my laptop, so I'm there cleaning my music up. Like it was fun. Yeah, it was like a sport. Now I'm like, yo, this is fun. I got to see what records I can get. People are hitting me. People are calling. It was fun. Just at the time, I think maybe MySpace was popping, so mm-hmm. people would hit me on MySpace, and it was fun. And then um, the reason I decided to, to leave, what you asked me, is um, I wanted more. And at the time, I I, I would have took anything. I would have took middays. Hmm. So um, I had a meeting with Power 105. Shout out to G-Spin. Mm-hmm. He um, set up a meeting and was like, hey, you know, we were thinking about possibly hiring you. And I said, yeah. So, you know, I sat with G-Spin for a little bit and we started talking. Then I talked to Cadillac, who was the program director at the time. And I said, okay. I really didn't think Power would go that far, though. 
I was just using power at that time to try to get more money in a better situation at Hot. Right. Mm-hmm. So I walked into uh, Ebro's office and I was like, hey, yo, you know, power made me an offer. What's up? And he was like, well, you know, we can't do nothing right now. I said, all right, you sure? Hmm. He was like, yeah, well, let me make a phone call. He made the phone call. I was like, ah, there's nothing we can do right now. So it was either stay at the new at two or go to power where I can do afternoons. Afternoons. Yeah. Uh, it was two to six at the time. So I said, all right, well, I'm out. So at the time, even when I'm leaving the building, I'm still like, they're going to call me back and be like, MV, <laughs> this is what it is. Right. So right when I get downstairs, right when I'm walking out, I see enough. And I'm like, you're enough. This is my last day. I see ladies. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I'm going over power. He was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, I wish you the best of luck. But I already knew what it was. So I already copied my dad. I took yeah, my clean out yeah, my locker. Yeah, yeah. Right already. <laughs> I get downstairs. Ebro calls me back. And he's like, yo, you really leaving? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'm going to make one more phone call. I said, all right. He he called me back. He was like, "Yo, we can't. There's nothing we could do right now." I said, "All right, man. Well, I wish y'all the best." And I got out. I got over the power, and you know, I told myself I'm going to make sure that we beat I-97. And you know, to everybody who, who knows me, knows I'm a workaholic. I'm going to try to outwork you. I'm going to try to 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 do what I can to possibly beat you, whether it's social media, what you know, whatever it was. And that's what that's what I tried to do at afternoons. And then afternoons was doing great. I was going against uh, an icon, Angie Martinez. Um, I was just kind of just feeling myself in. I, I never done it on myself, but now they gave me the ability to do what I wanted to do. And then um, my boss at the time, Cadillac, was like, yo, we need mornings. If this station is going to be big, we need a morning show. Right. And he was like, do you want to do it? And I was like, can I curse on him? Yeah, yeah, of course. I was like, fuck no, I ain't <laughs> I was like, I just left mornings. <laughs> I, I can do it afternoons. I can take my kids to, to school yeah. now. I can see my kids at night. Fuck that. I ain't doing it. So he was like, and at the time, I, I, they kind of gave me a, a, a fucked up contract. Reason being is, like I said, I never really wanted to go to power at first. Mm-hmm. So I was just using them as a leverage, but it didn't work. So now when I left hot at the time, power kind of just gave me a contract on some loose leaf paper and said, sign this. <laughs> That's all I had. Damn. So I made kind of like the minimum I could possibly make to do radio. I made way less than I made at hot. And I was trying to get way more money. So I said, like, I, I, my mentality was, it was a two-year contract. I'm going to work these two years better than anybody out there. Because nobody can out-hustle me, can out-work me. And then at the end of the two years, I'm going to stick them up. That was my mentality. So he asked me to do the mornings. Now, fast forward, I'm back doing afternoons of power. I said, can you do mornings? I'm like, nah. <laughs> he was like, all right. He was like, well, you know, I, I, I got this idea. I want you to work with two individuals. I said, well, who? He goes, uh, Charlemagne the God and uh, Angela Yee. Right? How quickly did you say no? <laughs> I said no so fast. <laughs> I didn't say no. I said, fuck no. He was like, why? I said, Charlemagne got fired three times. Yeah. I said, and Angela Yee works as serious with a curse. <laughs> I said, this is going to be all bad. <laughs> so he was like, nah. This, that, and the other, yada, yada, yada. So then they wanted to make the show around me. I don't know. You know, we didn't have a name, DJ M in the morning, whatever it was. They wanted to make it around me. Mm-hmm. But I was a sucker. I was like, nah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So it's like, well, why? And I said, well, because I said, if this show fails, I need to still be able to move and do what I got to do. Right. right. 
Charlemagne's not going to take us all down. Right. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know Charlemagne like that at the time when I mean, we spoke, but I didn't know him personally. Right. So he was like, okay. So I was like, I, you know what? Better yet, I'll just stay in the afternoons. Then he said, "How much? what about if we give you this amount of money? I said, whoa. <laughs> I said, for this amount of money? I said, all right, we can try it. Yeah. Joe Button numbers? Yeah. 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 It, was, it was more than Joe Button numbers. <laughs> so we tried it, and um, we put us all together, and then... Um, I told Caddy at the time, I said, it can't, I don't want it to be about me. It has to be, if there's three people, let's do three equal parts. And he was like, well, why? And I said, because that way everybody has a fair share if we win. Everybody has a fair share if we lose. And then we just started coming up with names. You know, the big three. <laughs> That's when the Miami Heat was big. We yeah. did the big three. Uh, Illuminati in the morning, you know. Um, Would you have done that? What? Illuminati in the morning. Nah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no I think, I think, outside of the show, would you have done Illuminati in the morning? <laughs> no, no, no. But I think I think the name that I was I, I really wanted the big three at first. I was mm-hmm. like the big this when LeBron was big. LeBron yeah. I was like, Yo, we the big three. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> Breakfast Club just stuck. It was mm-hmm. like, you know what? That's kinda like inviting people to the club, inviting them to where we at and we started the Breakfast Club. And I said like I said, the the Breakfast Club is so successful in my opinion, is because we all were co hosts to somebody. Mm-hmm. I was a co-host to Miss Jones. Mm-hmm. Charlemagne was a co-host to Wendy Williams. Mm-hmm. Angelie was a co-host to Cypher Sounds. So we shared the space. So even on the Breakfast Club, there is no immediate standout person, meaning that wants to be a star. Right. Mm-hmm. Charlemagne's a star naturally. Right. Angelie's a star naturally. Mm-hmm. DJ Envy's a star naturally. Mm-hmm. It's not. I'm the Michael Jordan of this bitch, and this is what's going to happen. It's not like that with anything up there. Everything is divided three ways. You want a guest up there? Two get, two of us have to say yes. Hmm. You know, it's <laughs> no matter what it is, that's how the show works. And it works well. We all work hard. We all know each other. We all don't try to get shine. Right. You know, it's like, let's say, for instance, we have an interview. And I know that people want to hear what Charlamagne is going to say to God. Mm-hmm. So we're interviewing God. I know people want to know what Charlamagne is going to have to say to God. I'm going to set him up for that. If I ask the question, it's cool, but that's not my position. Right. I know what he's going to ask. I know how he's going to ask it. So I got to make sure my job is to make sure he asked it in the right way because that's our role. Who would be the two people that say yes to, to Charlie and interviewing God? <laughs> uh, I would definitely say yes. <laughs> Angelie would say yes. I don't know about Charlamagne. <laughs> he might be on the fence about God. <laughs> so <laughs> clearly the the money was great and they really they did their job in paying you but talk about um what the breakfast club has meant for you in terms of exposure mm-hmm. and in terms of um what you've been able to achieve outside of um of radio and also how does it feel to see your face on the billboard well the billboard happened i, I mean it was exciting but when i did when i first got the power power put me all over the city Power sw- he flipped the switch, the yeah. power switch. So that was cool to see that. <laughs> the, your kids see that. Your mom see yeah. that. Your dad see that. That was cool. But the Breakfast Club, which was so dope, is we really didn't have anything. So there was no – they weren't really spending money on us. So we always kind of rocked on social media. Our social medias were always big, mine, Charlemagne's, and Yee's. So when the Breakfast Club came together, we just continued with that. We didn't care about ratings at the time. We just cared about – Twitter, social media, the streets, people talking about us, people talking about us, people talking about us. I mean, the ratings were horrible. We were getting spanked. It was bad. Like, to the point when your program director walks by, he doesn't even look in the room anymore. <laughs> That's when you know you're about to get fired. 
doesn't even say hi. <laughs> and that's what it was. It was bad. And we just stayed with it. We had great relationships with the bloggers, great relationships with the, you know, with the online people, great relationships with, with the artists. And we just stayed with it, stayed with it. The artists that at the time that Hot 97 went to interview, we'd interview. And then we got lucky. You know, one morning, about 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, oh, yeah. Ray J calls. <laughs> he's high. He's drunk. He talks about him was beating up Fabulous. Fabulous, yeah. And we put him on air. <laughs> and when that caught, it was on everything. On every TV show, on every radio show. People had to actually use that audio from our show on their show. And then from there, it just started going. And it's just that, that it's like a snowball effect. And that snowball just kept going downhill and getting bigger and getting bigger and getting bigger and getting bigger. And we just kind of stayed the same. You know, we still will interview, you know, because most of the times, People shoot for the A-list artists. Problem with A-list artists is most of the time they're boring. Yeah, they're not going to talk about anything because they're so politically correct. But the C-list artists, <laughs> they don't care. They ain't got nothing to lose. So they're the ones that's going to say, "Yeah, I, I I produced for him, and then when I produced for him, I seen him in the in the in the bathroom smoking coke, smoking crack." <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what we. You know, those are the stories that we love to hear, and it got us to you know where we at, and then you know we, we you know. I think we 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 do good radio. Yeah, and and then beyond the C list, you know, celebrities, you do have Hillary Clinton right. and Kanye West mm-hmm. and 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 Birdman, right? right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about those two minutes that Birdman was in the studio? I mean, it was great. I mean, first of all, let me just tell everybody out there: ninety nine point nine percent of the time, when artists come, nobody's scared. Mm-hmm. We're just not. I don't care how many people you coming in with. It's it's nobody's just scared, and and there's weapons placed around the studios just in case things go out of hand. Mm-hmm. That's one. So when he came, I mean, they called me a couple of days before. Birdman called me a couple of days before. Said he wanted to come on the show. I thought it was great. Did he call the fax number? Your mom? Nah, nah, nah. He called my cell number. <laughs> and um, I thought it was great. You know, uh, he said he had to get some things off his chest. He had some things that he didn't like that Charlamagne said, and I just thought it'd be great. I mean, nobody really. Got in depth with Birdman or Lil Wayne that I know of. Well, Angie tried. Yeah, Angie went down to yeah, uh, yeah, 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 to yeah. the mansion. Yeah, Angie did after. Yeah, yeah. Or did she do? No, before? I think it was. I think it was a little before. I think she yeah. did before. Yeah. yeah, she did before. But this was going to be the opportunity. This was going to be the opportunity to talk to him about everything, and really talking it to a way that we can do it in a barbershop. You know, Charlamagne was going to say, "What were you thinking when you kissed Lil Wayne?" Right, right, like, right, right. Those type of questions he was going to ask. It was going to be great. I was excited. And just like a barbershop, he was in and out. So. Yeah, <laughs> just like a barbershop. So when he came, when I seen him at the glass, he was rocking back and forth before he got in the studio. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> then when he walks in, he doesn't speak to me. He just sits right down. He just called you. Like, yeah, to wait, you? Yeah. So yeah, to me, he didn't that's speak. Weird. He didn't speak at all. He just sat down. So I knew at that point he was mad. He was ready to get things off his chest. <clears throat> so um, if you listen to the interview, I keep saying, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to the cameraman. Right. I see what's going to happen. So I'm like, let's get it on camera. Let's start recording. Let's go. Like <laughs> the cameraman is taking the, the you know, the earplugs out of his ear. He's getting focused. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> like, 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 this is it. And, and, and that's when it started. And he, you know, he got up. He, he was mad. And and we seen the two minutes that happened. Yeah. He just kind of walked out. Have you he, spoken to him since? Well, as soon as he walked out, maybe 20 minutes after that, he called me. Okay. <laughs> And he apologized, and you know he just said he was upset, and that he wanted to come back and do a real interview. What do you do in that position? 
as the Breakfast Club? <laughs> Two people said no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think at the Breakfast Club, I mean, I would have loved to do that interview over. Yeah, yeah. But that was a moment in history. Amazing. You know, even if we did an amazing interview, that's cool. But that moment right there will be a moment that people will be talking about and watching way past when we die. And it's something that translated so much that even your competition had to acknowledge it and use it and speak on it. I mean, not only my competition, and we kind of don't look at them as competition. Okay. Um, and, and not saying it on, on some bragging-ish, but we're so past them as competition, it's kind of like we're trying to compete against ourselves. We're trying to do a better show than the show we did the day before. Competition is like you look at what they're doing and try to break down their stats to see what they're doing. We don't do that. We kind of break down our own stuff and be like, damn, how can we make this show better? How can we make it more relatable? How can we get more to our demographic? That's what we kind of do. But with um, Birdman, it was like, not just the competition, it was like you had ESPN using the <laughs> phrase words. You know, people, you know, comedians, rappers do put it in songs. It was in movies. It was... It was like, it was the biggest thing of the year last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Can't beat that. Do you miss Summer Jam? Do I miss it? Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun at Summer Jam. Um, what years were you there? I don't remember the years, but I think I did a bunch of them. I think maybe five or six of them. But, I mean, you got 55,000 people in an arena. And um, it just used to be a lot of fun just seeing the people... And, and the dope thing about it is it started so early. I mean, you were there all day long. Yeah. And you're you just meeting people. And I would just stand next to the stage. And the reason I was standing next to the stage is because you never know when they'd be like, and I was the one that they would always get a mic to. Envy, <laughs> go bring out so-and-so. Because they couldn't find Flex. Or they couldn't find Angie. Or they couldn't find Mr. C. It was DJ Envy, go. All right, yo, what up? Yo. You're in front of 55,000 people. Yeah. So I do miss that aspect of it, but I also like Powerhouse. Sure. And the reason I like Powerhouse is because it's one is indoor. Mm -hmm. I ain't gotta worry about rain. Which every about, year it's raining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I ain't gotta worry about lightning. Mm -hmm. I ain't gotta worry about none of that. You know, it's it's thing. But I think with Powerhouse is more family. And when I say more family, it's like with Powerhouse, I bring my wife, I bring my kids, I bring family members, and it's kind of like a big family. Summer Jam was more business. You got to get in there, get out, get off the stage, get the F off the stage. You just like, it's more, if you ever been there, you're like, Shit, it's not, it's not fun. Powerhouse is more fun. Can you talk about when Angie came over to power, what that was like? Um, Did you have a heads up on that? No, uh, I knew the morning of. Right. Cause you tweeted about it. Right. The morning <laughs> of. Yeah. And, um, coach, which is what we call our boss, coach there. She put, she called me in the breakfast club in the office and was like, look, I got something to tell y'all. I can't say anything to whatever the time was, but <clears throat> Angie Martinez is coming here. And I was like, you're fucking lying. You're lying. I'm like, all right. April Fools. She's like, no, I'm serious. You're lying. She was like, no, she is really coming. And she start, and, and not only is she really coming, she's really coming and she's doing an interview with you guys tomorrow. <laughs> I said, I believe it when I say I said, she'd never leave. And she left, which was dope. How did you prepare for that interview? I didn't have to. I know. I mean, I was a fan of Angie 
my whole life. Yeah. Like, I felt like I was her Spanish cousin. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I knew everything about her. I, I seen her. I admired her the way that she worked. You know, like, Angie was kind of like an idol to me for radio. I mean, when I, w- I used to walk in her studio, she used to cut up interviews, do a break, read a commercial, and um, order food on the phone. <laughs> and, I mean, she was that dope. And I was like, she knows the business. She knows everything. And she was just always just so nice. So. And she gave you your first job when she got pregnant. That's right. <laughs> and she gave me a chance to have my job when she got pregnant. Yeah. We had Angela Yee on recently, mm-hmm. and she told us about your guy's new business venture, which is Juices for Life. Juices for Life. Uh-huh. Out there in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. She also said that, that you've gotten into investing in different businesses. Mm-hmm. How did this come to be, and how easily were you like, yeah, I'm going to get into the juices business? Oh, well, I've been investing for a long time. Um one time I was doing so well in real estate, probably in my 22, 23, I was doing real estate. Where? Uh, in Jersey. Wow. Uh, I got my first big check. I used to ride a motorcycle, and a lady lost control and hit me on the bike. Holy shit. I fell, sliding down a highway, jumped up, and, you know, the first thing you think of is, oh, I'm a Sioux. So I How did, about I'm alive? <laughs> that was, that was so I did. I did what any um, anybody would do. I called Jacoby Myers. Mm-hmm. When I called Jacoby Myers, uh, if you don't know what Jacoby Myers is, it's a law firm that if you have to sue somebody, they are like <laughs> they, they they're ready. They're ready. Yeah. Ready to rock and roll. Like you've done like live reads for them. I'm sure. I'm Absolutely. <laughs> so when I called Jacoby Myers, they're like, "Oh my God, that's great! You got into an accident. Okay, the lady hit you." <laughs> She lost control. All right, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to have you see one of our doctors. Then you're going to have to go to rehab. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I was like, rehab? That's like, yeah, you're going to have to be, stay off your feet for two weeks. I'm like, I'm a DJ. I'm not staying off my feet for two weeks. They're like, well, you're going to have to do that. We can get some money. This, any, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, nah, I'm good. So I picked up the phone. I called the insurance company. And I was like, look. I was like, um, I just got into an accident. They was like, yeah, we know. I was like, look, I'm not going to sue. I was like, what? <laughs> I said, look, pay for my hospital bill, pay for my motorcycle, and we good. They said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. Now, the bike was 10000 The trip to the emergency room was probably three, 4000 That's mm-hmm. fifteen grand, right? Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen grand. They said, okay. They said, come right now. We'll give you a check. I said, all right. So I called my pops. Pops, let's go out there. So drove out there. They gave me a check for $75,000. $75,000. I was only expecting thirteen. Yeah. Is their math, like, wrong? <laughs> they just they just did not want me to sue them. They figured that the lady lost control, hit me on the highway. I probably could have sued for a lot of money. When, when you get that check, do you look at it and you say, like, fold it up, and you're like, okay, good. Like, don't say anything. Let's go and not ask any questions. No, they made me sign a paper that basically said I wouldn't sue them, that if I had any other injuries because of it that came later on that I wouldn't be able to sue so I said, okay, mm. all right. So I took that $75,000 and bought my first home. Man. Illuminati in the morning. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And from there, we just, uh, you know, me and my wife just started flipping houses. And this is what. Oh, I'm, you did? The market was great. So, you know, you could have a house and we buy a house, put furniture in it, paint it, sell it for 100000 more. And we were doing great. It got to the point we were, make, we were doing so well, I almost gave up music. Whoa. Yeah, I think, you know, you can make two, three $300,000 a year. 
$400,000 a year doing that. And if you do it right, you don't, you don't have to pay taxes on it. Well, what's yeah, a- but you can also get into a bunch of motorcycle accidents and get a lot of money that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what's, a, what's, a, what's a little tip? You don't have to give away all your secrets. What's a little tip towards finding a good house to flip? Back then, it was it – was, before the market crashed, it was pretty much anything. Any any new house homes you, or or used homes? No, nah, these were used homes. These mm-hmm. were these were homes that might have needed a little TLC. Mm-hmm. And when I say little TLC, um, you're talking newer. about the girl group, yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. They <laughs> had a little, and so they they were on fire. <laughs> they were on fire, right? <laughs> like a little paint, um, you know, some maybe doing some landscaping, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a lot of times people can't see what a house looks like empty, you know. So we'd furnish the house. And, you know, we get offers immediately, you know, and... Were you doing this yourself? I mean, like, were you, like, painting the walls? Were you, uh, you know... No, find a fine crew of people to do it. Um, did you live in any of these homes? And did you ever flip your homes? Some I did. Some I did flip. And then when the market crashed, it was... That was probably one of the most painful times, which made me do music even more, because I had three properties on my hand. And now I never really had three properties, but maybe for a couple of weeks. So now I had three properties on my hand that didn't sell. Mm. And these were one property was two point two million, the other properties was, was one point one million, and the other property was six hundred thousand. So you, you had to pay mortgages on all of them. Yeah. That time I sold all my cars, and if you follow me, you know I love cars. I sold mm-hmm. all my cars, and I just started DJing like a crackhead. Mm. Any club that you by the way, needed, crackheads are terrible, terrible DJs. DJs. Yeah. Just <laughs> shaky legs, and I mean we're just doing every club I could yeah. possibly do, and I just. Kept making money, and the money I was making was pretty much going to these properties until I was able to sell those properties, and then I kind of sh- slowed down on the real estate investing in back in the music. Your parents still live in Queens. Still live in Queens. Do they live in the same house? Same house. Well, what the hell? Like, <laughs> well, um, you're the real estate guy. <clears throat> well, the thing with my my dad is is like I said, my dad is a retired police officer, mm-hmm. so he's very comfortable with knowing everything around him, and he he feels comfortable living there. Um, it's not in the hood in Queens, so it's not like he's he's mm-hmm. in, the, in the projects. But also, he can't leave New York City. If you're a police officer and you retire and you stay in New York City, they don't tax your pension. Wow, wow. If you move outside of New York, they tax your pension. Wow. So he's like, I'm, I'm not going to move. Yeah. Like, for them to tax it. So he stays in Queens, and he's happy. We go see him all the time, and he comes to Jersey all the time, so it's great. So now you're how many years into the Breakfast Club? Six. Very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Is there a next move for you? Do you see this playing out as like you'll stay in the gig as long as they'll have you? Um, I don't think the Breakfast Club is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, I, I think every year we do something that's groundbreaking and, and new, and you know we continue to get different markets. I think we're about close to eighty markets in the morning. We also just got this thing that's over a thousand stations. We're going to be on all the military bases in the country, which wow. is dope. So that that brings us international. Um, we still love it. And where did the People's Choice come from? Back to Hot 97 when we had those weekends. You know, we had those, the, the mix show weekends. Everybody had the the world famous DJ Clue. And it was the drama king, K. Slade. The green, the evil genius, Green Lantern. Right. The soda pop. Who <laughs> so I needed a name. So I was trying and trying. I couldn't, I couldn't think of what I'm going to do. And then um, I happened to see the People's Champ. Mm-hmm. That was Paul Wall, mm-hmm. yeah. and I said, "He's the people's champ. I'm the people's choice." The people picked me, <laughs> and I called Clue. And I was like, hey, "Clue, what do you think about the people's choice?" He was like, "That sounds stupid," <laughs> and I couldn't come up with a name, and it had to be in by like maybe like five o'clock. And I was like, "People's choice," and then it just stopped. Wow, 
And you also asked, you know, what's next? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think the the thing that I'm focusing on now, which I'm really enjoying, is me and my wife's podcast. Yes. It's called the Casey Crew, and we talk about relationship shit. But the dope thing about it is, there's nothing that you can have in a relationship that we haven't been through, discussed, argued about, or been through. I mean, from having five kids to you know my wife faking an orgasm to you know your wife having an orgasm you know, <laughs> having an orgasm <laughs> to you know my wife being cut in the face to me being shot at to you know you name it we've been through in a relationship so it's it's dope because we get to talk to different people that's been in relationships and it's kind of like we get to help people but it's a different side of me that you don't necessarily hear in the breakfast club mm-hmm. and it's doing so well. It's so amazing. It's, it's being well received, and it's a different side of hip hop that we don't see. You don't really see hip hop couples anymore, right. or hip hop marriages. I mean, I think you might have seen three: Rev Run, mm-hmm. Ti, Jay Z, and Beyonce. But Jay Z and Beyonce really don't show it. They kind of you see Jay Z walking out the door, and then five minutes later you see Beyonce. Or, right. You know, they don't really show it. So. Well, they've got a lot of doors. <laughs> they definitely have a lot of doors But you know We're actually telling stories which, Right Which is dope And you never have to worry about Mariah Carey's lawyers Calling you to ask you Where you stole These certain records from Absolutely <laughs> Unless you talk about that On the podcast <laughs> That's right Yeah yeah. <laughs> Yo thanks so much For coming through Thanks for having me You know next time I come I want to do like A usual suspects Type of show Okay Where you look around the room And That's so yeah. dope I, You know there's so many Different things I'm looking around the room And I see certain stories And I was like Yeah we get to tell Cool stories And I'm like wow I got it because I seen the book that no. says New York story. Now I'm really suspicious. Did you really get into a motorcycle accident? Nah, I really <laughs> didn't. I seen, nah, I've never yeah. seen it. Like I said, born in the Bronx. I want my, like, like you have so many books and so many cool things I could just pick out and do. The next time I come in, I'm going to do that. All right. Wait, before you go then, tell a story about French Montana. Which story? No, I don't know. There's, there's a, a French, French Montana, Montana box right behind you. Yeah. Right, let me tell you. Yeah. So now, French Montana lives in the town over from me. If, if currently. Knew yeah, currently. Okay. Dope story about French Montana. When he first came out, nobody really thought he was a dope rapper. They just thought he was just a kid. The DVD guy. The DVD guy. <laughs> yeah. And what French used to do is he used to come to all my clubs in the Bronx, in the hood, and he used to have this Bentley. And he would come all the time and just spend money and spend money and spend money. And it got to a point where it was like, you know what? We got to play this guy's record because he comes all the time. Yeah. And that's how the DJs really started playing French's record. Tell a story about Cameron. <laughs> Cameron. All right. This is a cool story. <laughs> I have a story about everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so this was um, doing mixtapes. And Splash had stole a record from Cameron. Fucking Splash. Yeah, gets you in all the trouble. <laughs> and when he stole the record from, from, he didn't tell me the record was stolen. So I played it. So when I played it, the next day, um, Cameron's, uh, I don't want to say security, or he worked for Cameron. His name was Big Joe. Big Yo, G. Big Joe, Joe, yeah. Came up to the station, was like, yo, can y'all play Cameron record, and we need money for Cameron record. <laughs> and I was like, I ain't giving no, I ain't giving no money for nothing. Splash not to get that money. I ain't getting no money. I was like, if Cam want to fight, Cam can fight. <laughs> so Cam called me, was like, you want to fight? I was like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to fight. But you know, I know Cam was mad for playing that. It was the record, Killer Kanye. Oh yeah, Cam, Cam. It was that record. So <laughs> it was that record. How about our guy Lenny S? Lenny S is the coolest guy, man. Um, Lenny was so instrumental in the DJ and mixtape career, like getting me records and and getting me songs and fighting for me to do certain things. Like he was very instrumental in doing all that. I remember, I think probably the biggest tape, and I'll say it to anybody out there. I think the biggest tape ever, mixtape ever. And I'm sure DJs will have a heart attack, but the biggest (laughs) mixtape ever (laughs) 
was the Empire Strikes Back. Mm. And that was uh, like a Rockefeller mixtape. And that was when Beanie Siegel was going at uh, J.D. Kiss. Yep. Has so many different records. That was the biggest tape ever. Because you got the most feedback from it? It was everywhere. It was yeah. the most feedback, the most downloaded, the most uh, bootleg, the most bought, purchased. It was one of those staples that when you see it, be like, damn. <laughs> and, it, it, and it's not like we did a bunch of series of them. It was just the Empire Strikes Back. And it was just a big tape. What do you think now when you drive down like Canal Street? Um, it's a whole different area. I mean, before when I went to Canal Street, there was seven or eight bootleggers selling mixtapes. <laughs> now there's not one. Yeah. Now there's six or seven bootleggers selling bags. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's where you get your fake Oakleys, right? <laughs> How do you know I wear Oakleys now? But, you know, it's... It, I mean, the whole New York has changed. I mean, driving up and down Canal Street and, and, and feeling the music and 125th Street and going up there to get some fried chicken and shrimp and, you know... Beach Street downtown Brooklyn and going there just standing in there because you know artists used to come by there all the time and you know what a lot of artists used to do is they used to come down there to Beach Street and just play their record over and over and over and just see what people's vibe would be you miss all of that you don't mm-hmm. get to see that no more now people turn on you know the, the internet and, and, and expect to see get a feeling or vibe but it's not the same yeah I mean you, you go to like you know the the playground across the street from your parents place you don't see Ed Lover anymore you know I definitely don't see Ed Lover <laughs> over here <laughs> Yo, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Guys, of course. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, if people want to find out more about this podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real, which is almost 100 episodes deep, if people want to find out about that Your Girls Tour at SOB's on February 23rd, 2017, where can they go? You can always go to SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time. You can also check out our music at SoundCloud.com slash It's The Real. Yeah. We are also on facebook it it's the real instagram it it's the real twitter it it's the real we are on itunes at if you search for a waste of time with it's the real i'm sure we're on google play i'm sure we're on stitcher i'm sure we're on any other and soundcloud if, and device. if we're not if you're having any issues hit us up hit us up at it's the real yeah if we don't tell the people to tell their friends then this podcast never gets any momentum so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna shout out some people and tell them to tell all their friends jeff do you have a friend that you want to shout out yes so you and i today we gave away tickets to our show by doing a scavenger hunt yeah and we said meet us at leor cohen's park yes which if you watch his snapchats he's there every single morning and we've seen it in real life yeah where he is there's a statue he's and he talks to the statue and so we went down to the park and sean mcmanus met us there sean mcmanus who we've never met before but has followed our careers for a very long time long time fan Great to meet him. Happy that he and a friend are going to be coming to the show. But yeah, there was somebody else who came in a very close, close second. second place. Yeah, and her name is Jana Alday, and I want to shout out Jana. Shout out to um, Jana. I want to shout her out all day. Shout out Jana all day. <laughs> and by the way, if you didn't get a chance to get those free tickets that we gave away today. Go to itstherial.com right now. Buy those tickets before it's too late. Jeff, I would like to shout someone out, too. That's all right with you. Uh, sure. All right. I would like to shout out Supa. Supa. S-U-P-A. He's known as Supa on Twitter. It's actually at known as Supa. And this guy, who, by the way, is from Queens. Shout out to Queens. Shout out to DJ Envy. Shout out to Big Waz. Shout out to the whole Queens. Supa 
hit us up and says that he enjoys the AKAs so much that he puts people onto the podcast just based off of that. Well, shouts to Supa. Yes. Or Supa. You know, did I screw it up? Maybe it is Supa. Yeah, don't be offensive. Ah, oh, maybe it's like a, we're living in a very hashtag problematic society. He just do not en- want to offend maybe anybody. He just enjoys dinner. Yeah, an early dinner. Supa. Shout out to Supa. Shout out to Supa. Supa, aka Supa. I don't know. Shout out to the whole queens. Go to itstherial.com right now. Get those tickets for your girls tour. Jeff, we'll see you again next week. Uh, yeah. A waste of time. That's the show. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, a waste of time. <laughs>